Hello everybody and welcome back to Benevolent Vibes. It's me again, Donnie Podcast, with another episode. Today, we're gonna digress a little bit from the usual theme of focusing purely on energy and the metaphysical because I want to talk about something that's going to help the efficiency of the receipt and transmission of these vibes, the universe's energy. And that which I want to speak about today is diet, which can be very controversial, but everything that I'm talking about is based on science and so far i've found no valid argument that can contradict any of this stuff so if you do find it to be controversial or something that rubs you the wrong way then just know do whatever makes you happy or whatever but this is based on what is best for us as human beings and so the reason why i decided to choose diet today is because being cognizant of the energy and trying to work with the energy is definitely good and it can be helpful even if you're not really well tuned physically. So some people might notice that they start this meditation, they start raising their vibrations and then they do get some benefits for a little while and then they run into a plateau where some things that are actually restricting them in the physical world or preventing them from being able to do the best they can in all of this 5G type stuff. And so there's also people who perhaps physically the vibrations still might help them, but maybe they need to improve physically in such a way that if they didn't, then they might not even notice that there is an improvement, or maybe there's such little improvement that they think that raising your vibrations doesn't work. And even if you are avid about meditation and you feel the benefits, you can't deny that having the right medium through which the vibrations can transfer definitely helps in a more efficient and more powerful experience when it comes to interacting with the universe's energy. So if you think of it as like an, an analogy, an antenna, if you don't know much about antennas, you might be surprised at how much a difference the length of the antenna actually matters, the shape of the antenna, what it's made out of. Any of those things, even if they're slightly off, can severely degrade the signal and even make the transmission impossible where the antenna is useless if it's not of the right dimensions and of the right material. So a quick analogy, which is more related to my next episode I want to do, which is regarding the posture. But just to illustrate the importance of an antenna, I once built a 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi antenna out of a piece of copper wire. And at first it was just kind of loosely made. I didn't really specifically follow the specs on how it should be made. And when I tested it, it basically didn't work or it barely worked at all, where instead of getting like 40 megabits per second Wi-Fi at the same distance from the router, I was getting like zero megabits per second or two megabits per second. And then I realized the antenna was like four millimeters too long, so I trimmed it by about that four millimeters, and suddenly I had 65 millimeters, 65 millimeters, has 65 megabits per second transmission rate, and, or receiving rate, and transmitting was always a fraction of that. Point is, it improved by like 20%. And then whenever I got in direct line of sight of the router, I had like 145 megabits per second download speed with that antenna and that's a faster speed by a long shot than I've ever had with the same router on the same network. So it's clear that the same signal at the same frequency at the same power was being transmitted during all that time. 
because it was the same equipment on the same network, nothing has changed. And then whenever I tested the antenna originally, because it wasn't of the right length, but it was of the right shape, it just didn't work. And then whenever I tried it at the proper length, it worked better than my laptop's built-in antenna. And then whenever I put it in good line of sight of the router, it was faster than any device that I've ever used. And that goes to show you that even if you have the right signal, the right frequency, and it's being broadcast very powerfully, if you're not using the right antenna, then the receipt and transmission of that signal is going to be very inefficient. And if you've done any reading on meditation and transcending up into like the fifth dimension and attracting a better world to yourself through positive vibrations, if you've done enough reading on that, you won't be long until you find something about people watching closely their diet and of course you'll easily run into yoga when it comes in to that sort of thing. So on the same token, what if that copper wire was the exact right length but it was very degraded? It was either an iron wire or a steel wire or it was a copper wire but it was so badly oxidized that there was like crystals growing off it of like green oxidation and you would almost wonder how much of it is still copper. Would that oxidized, very deteriorated antenna be anywhere near as good at receiving the signal if something such as a simple difference in a few millimeters in length could make all that much difference? And I'd say no, based on my experience. Also, when building an antenna, many people who put out these specifications on how to make it work, they specify a very particular girth for the antenna. So if it's any thicker than like 10 gauge or 12 gauge or something like that, then the signal wouldn't be as good and it wouldn't work from as far away, so on and so forth. So if you have too big of an antenna as far as how how wide it is like a very heavy gauge wire then it may not be able to work maybe not at all with uh, the type of signal that you're aiming at so that is just another analogy about how our posture our diet and even our composition how how big or small we are outside of what is healthy for ourselves might affect the vibrations. So that's not to say, just to make sure y'all know, I'm not saying that someone who's small by nature or very tall by nature can't receive a signal very well, but if they have a very excessively high BMI, way too much body fat, and they're just unhealthy in a bunch of different ways, and their body is just struggling to even deal with itself, then, yeah, by the same concept here of this whole diet thing, I think it would be difficult for them to realize the same improvements in their life if they don't address the physical. So without further ado, the diet we're talking about is one that is timeless, that has proven throughout the ages to be very healthy, and essentially the true diet that we are meant to be eating. And it doesn't, it's not one of those fad diets where based on a few studies or whatnot, they found that this or that was good for people, and then they just went overboard and jumped on, oh, let's do only this type of thing. It was more like all of these different diets, all these different trends and everything were put together to figure out what works and what doesn't. And they find out that a lot of these uh, very popular diets, they have parts of them that are extremely good, but there's also things that don't work. And when it all boils down to it, it boils down to our genetics. 
as human beings. And there's different diets out there that say, oh, your blood type makes a difference or whatever else. And uh, Bottom line is we're all human and we're meant to eat human food. So if you still have an open mind to this podcast, I'll go on to talk about what it is that we're talking about. <laughs> so the word for that is the paleo diet. And when people hear a label on something, they usually decide that whether they want it or not right away. And you might, as soon as you heard paleo, said, okay, I'm not listening to this anymore. Because maybe you've read some articles or seen some YouTube channels where especially some vegetarian or vegan advocates were trying to convince you otherwise. But the paleo diet wasn't set out to be any sort of a trend, wasn't meant to be any sort of just fad or quick gain or loss type of thing. It was meant to determine, it was the result of determining what it is we're truly meant to be eating. And so through all this research, a good documentary to get started with as far as all the main points of interest is, it's called The Perfect Human Diet. You could find it on YouTube for like $5 to rent or like I think you could buy it for like 14 or something like that. And then there's even a book called The Perfect Human Diet. Either way, they're the same thing written by the same author, I believe. C.J. Hunt is the documentarian in the documentary. And I really appreciate how thorough the research is. It is not any sort of half-baked thing where somebody who thinks they know all the answers found this one solution that made a big change for them and now they want to push it on everybody else. No, this came from C.J. Hunt was actually trying every sort of different diet there was. And, you know, a lot of them had things that were bad about them as far as whether or not they're good for your health. And a lot of them just didn't work. Like, they were just bad for you, even though they're advocated and uh, put out there as if they're like a health type of thing. And... Ultimately, he just wanted to find out what it is that we're truly meant to be eating as humans. That's what he sought out to do, and eventually it came down to realizing that there was a very big change in our health in America, in the world in general. If you look back, even back to the time of like ancient Egypt where grains were first starting to be grown in mass quantities, that was also the beginning of time where you started realizing that there's this huge switch in all these maladies that came to be that didn't used to be when we were hunter-gatherers. And they know that through all the evidence that they found and analyzing the fossils. They started seeing that the Paleolithic people, though they didn't have the same, like, care that we have as far as, like, giving birth and taking care of, like, infants until they're old enough to basically fend for themselves, they still had a life expectancy slightly better than we currently do. And that includes the average being severely downshifted by... A lot of infant mortality and a lot of children dying before the age of 15. But they noticed that the Paleolithic people tend to live near the age of 80 and beyond. And this is, again, hunter-gatherers just wandering around. There's no medicine that they're taking, no doctors prescribing them like chemicals to try to artificially regulate different problems in their body, these guys were just eating off the land and eating as humans are meant to eat. And so, what they found was that the Paleolithic people, for example, they didn't really have much in the way of cavities or maybe non-existent whenever they examined their fossils. 
But whenever they looked at people from like Egypt and, and the era where they started growing grains, they started knowing, noticing lots of visible signs of, of illnesses and cavities and all sorts of health problems that didn't used to be back in the, in the day of the hunter-gatherers. And then furthermore, they did nitrogen isotope analysis of the Paleolithic people. And they determined how much meat they would have had in their diets. And as would make sense to anyone who's ever explored the concept of wild foraging and living off the land, their diet would mostly be meat. And by that I mean between 30 and 60% of their diet was meat. They would eat vegetables and fruits or whatnot that they could find, but that was only there when it was there. Once they've harvested it and eaten it, or once it went out of season, it just wasn't there. So that meant that there would be a lot of time where they're eating nothing but meat for a little while. And then maybe they'd get a little this and that in small quantities as they were passing through it. They wouldn't be able to go to this market and just grab a box of blueberries or whatever. And so with enough research, they found out basically what the Paleolithic people ate, what they didn't eat, and what we must basically be genetically designed to live off of. And just like a good analogy, we, we have people eating non-paleo all the time and maybe they don't think there's anything wrong, but if you're into this vibrational stuff anyways, then you're probably into the world of holistic wellness. And anyone who is keen on the idea of holistic wellness is also aware that disease doesn't just happen like a light switch. It slowly creeps up on you. First, there's this unwellness, maybe... If you want to think about it in a muscle tension kind of way, maybe it's harder to get down to tie your shoes and in one day you easily throw in your back out and if you leave it go long enough then maybe it's a situation where you're looking at back surgery or whatnot. And the holistic remedy would be, hey, it's a lot more difficult for me to reach my shoes to tie my shoestrings. Maybe I should do some stretching or some yoga or something. And after a while, you might find a lot of relief and a lot more range of motion and that things that used to bother you don't bother you anymore. The same goes with diet. Even cancer, it happens because a certain threshold was met with carcinogenics in the body. And carcinogens in the body, at too high of a limit, would cause a problem. But if the person does not eat an, enough carcinogens and try to avoid them, then they may never get cancer just because they never allowed it to break a certain threshold. And you could look at like people that have issues where it eventually becomes an endocrine problem where they can't stay awake no matter what. Maybe it starts with they had some energy drinks and that helps them keep going, but eventually they drank energy drinks in, even when they didn't feel like they need them just because they like them. And eventually it becomes almost like a dependency thing where if they don't have it, they can't make it through their day. And, you know, that, that can be a thing where no matter how many caffeine drinks you have, whether it's coffee or energy drinks or whatever else, that you just can't have the energy. Uh, because instead of trying to do everything else right, like with diet and rest and actually staying away from caffeine so that your body can be energetic on its own, they eventually develop this chronic issue of just not having enough energy, always feeling like they need to go to sleep. And so that's a bunch of different examples about how, yeah, people walk around technically not eating paleo all the time, and they think they're living a normal life, but there's also a lot of illness and aches and pains and just unwellness that they deal with on a regular basis that if they were eating the proper food for what a human should be eating, they could eventually see that stuff be alleviated possibly, 
or maybe they can prevent that thing from ever happening. And so this isn't like dietary advice or anything. So before I go any further, just keep in mind that this is just what has been shown to be like genetically what humans are meant to be eating. So everyone has different medical situations. And because of all these things that we've already mentioned, things that maybe they were let go too long at a point that doing the paleo thing might not be a good idea for you, it's something you want to check with your doctor before attempting and making sure that your dietitian or your doctor thinks it's a good thing for you. And other than that, you're on your own because uh, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to change their diet or what's good for them in particular because to do that really in the first place you need like blood tests and determining like what a person might be lacking in their diet and if they could safely transition into paleo maybe it's a big change for them maybe it needs to be subtle and gradually work into it so maybe that's the case either way i'm not giving you medical advice uh, if you're gonna make any dietary changes make sure that it's done the proper way and you've seen the right experts for it but without further ado what is it that is in the paleo diet well they don't eat legumes so anything made of legumes is not paleo there's no potatoes i think tomatoes are also not in the paleo if they are then it's something that i added in my own thing because of the lectins in tomatoes grains are also not part of the paleo diet so corn rice wheat of course wheat is the big one other than that, you're basically eating anything that doesn't fit into those categories. I would say that processed sugar didn't really exist back then. And so I know that if you look at the actual, like, paleo diet online, they have these rules. They even have, like, little cheat things that you can do every, I don't know how often, like once a week you can have some vodka or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Um... But it's not like, even on the paleo website, they don't expect people to be completely strict all the time with it and never break from it. I think they even allow for like dark chocolate or something like that. any rate, so what are you basically looking at? It's basically like most of the food that you can find in fast food, you basically just either have to have them make it specially a certain way for you or you just don't have it because... They think like Taco Bell, for example, a tortilla or a taco shell or the um, nachos, all that stuff is green. Then there's the legumes and stuff, depending on what you got in rice and all this other stuff. Uh, I used to do it at McDonald's where I would order a burger, but I would ask to not have the buns. Uh, but they, I think they still charge me the same for that. So I stopped doing that just because... I thought it would be cheaper for me since they're not, you know, giving me the buns. So what I ultimately ended up doing myself is, for one thing, I eat a lot of fresh stuff. And I eat a lot of frozen stuff. And the reason why is because I don't have, like, a family and a bunch of people to provide for. And it doesn't make sense for me to do, like, a big, like buy a bunch of stuff in bulk and make it myself type of thing. So if I'm going to have anything that I can buy in any quantities, it has to be something that can last a long time without going bad. So it's either I buy some fresh things that I'm really intending on eating that day and then the next few days, and or I buy frozen things. That way it's a real quick thing that I can like meal prep it. Now I used to also meal prep where I would get cuts of chicken and roast them and everything, and then I'd actually have them meal prep like five different things of chicken for their week or whatever, but um, that takes a lot of time, about once a week, it takes an hour or so, and then on top of that, if, you, if you're getting tired of eating, say, the same chicken or whatnot, then you're not going to want to do that, and you're basically force-feeding yourself for the rest of the week. So the easiest solution for myself to stick to a diet that's close to paleo and oftentimes I'm very strict paleo, but there's also a lot of times where I decide to give myself a break for a couple months and 
have a little of this and that that's not paleo. And so, what I do is I'll just take like frozen fajita chicken or whatnot that you could buy at Walmart or Publix or whatever other, probably Kroger, I guess. And then some veggies. And either one of those are coming in these microwavable bags. So then whenever you want your meal, you can microwave whatever you want to microwave of that. Then you have your meat and your veggies, and there you go. It's nothing too complicated. It took a few minutes to microwave it. Now you have the meat as well as the veggies. And then it's not difficult to get fruit. You just walk into the store, get yourself whatever fruit you want, and it'll last pretty long anyways. So that's pretty much how that can be done easily. So what I noticed with this concept is that whenever I am very strict on the paleo thing, I can tell that the energy is improved because everything feels better. I feel kind of like I always <laughs> describe it to people, I guess to kind of be funny, but it almost is like what I kind of feel like is like, I feel like Spider-Man, you know, where, you know, just a few weeks ago before you started paleo, you had all the weariness and aches and pains and, the same attitude as like most other people. But then after a couple of weeks of being paleo, all of a sudden you just feel great. You feel like your energy just doesn't have an end. And I remember whenever I broke from it, I went to drink a soda because I hadn't had a soda in like two months when I decided to break from it. Because initially the first time I did it, I thought, I wonder how long I can keep this up. And for three weeks it was very difficult. But after week three, I didn't even want anything else. I just went with what I was doing. And I had this can of Coca-Cola that I just had all that time that I never opened, never drank. And I was like, well, this thing is just going to sit here all day for the rest of time if I don't drink it. And now that I've been two months without it and I've proven that I could do it, then maybe I'll try that. Well, I couldn't even finish that soda because to me it tasted like I was drinking syrup compared to when I was just drinking like water or tea or whatever else that wasn't soda. And I thought that change would be very temporary because you always hear about people going on a diet and then they break from it and then they go back to everything they used to be doing. But that wasn't the case because even when I gave myself full permission to just eat whatever I wanted to eat, I really, I really felt miserable if I like tried to eat a couple donuts or eat too much chocolate or whatever else. So I, I really couldn't. And even to this day, this is like more than a decade after I first did that first experiment with going purely paleo. I really can't eat much in the way of sweets without feeling like I'm overdoing it where I don't even want it. And... Everything, everything is better. I used to eat a lot of salt on like eggs, for example, and I'd have eggs and bacon and I would always sprinkle a lot of salt on it. Well, part of that whole paleo thing was I was trying to eat everything as naturally as possible. So if it was something that was safe to eat raw, I ate it raw. If it was something that should be cooked like chicken, then I cooked it. And so I thought, okay, well, I wouldn't add granulated sugar to anything. If I want something sweet, I'll eat a fruit. That'll be my my sweet for the day is the fruit. If I want something salty, then it's a food that already is salty that I didn't add salt to. And even bacon that really is like plain bacon, it, it has a saltiness to it. So I got used to eating bacon and eggs without adding any salt to it. And once I broke that diet and had my first plate of eggs, I tried to put just a little bit of salt on it. And it tasted like I was eating like an entire spoonful of salt, whatever. It's <laughs> so terrible. I was like, wow, like I can't believe it. Like it literally tasted like I put so much more salt on it than I ever used to. And that proved to me that our tastes adapt. So if you ever think of a lot of times when people want to start something, sometimes it might seem a little daunting to them. Because say in the case of paleo, 
the one thing people think of, like, the carbs. Oh, I have to avoid, basically, carbs in general. Like, I have to avoid tortillas and buns and slices of bread and pizza and blah, blah, blah. And they think, what what is there out there in the world that I could even get anywhere that doesn't come with that? Because fast food, of course, most of that stuff is, like, wrapped in a tortilla or between hamburger buns or whatever else. And so... It almost means you basically can't have fast food. Um, but it's not really a bad thing. Like, I once once I started doing paleo very strictly, it saved me runs to wherever. Uh, if I ever felt hungry for something and I didn't have it at home and I wanted to cook it or whatever, or I couldn't cook it, I could just get fast food because that was way more convenient. But when you're on this, like, routine of just, okay, well, here's whatever I'm making for myself. For me, I don't mind having it very plain, so I didn't had, like, the uh, strips of steak or something with veggies, and that was it for my meal. And that was quick. I was already home. The time it would would have taken me to drive over to the fast food place, and even sometimes if you think about how long you're in line at a drive-through at a fast food place, that still might be about as long, or if not even longer, than it would take for you to microwave some frozen meat, for example. So it depends on how you want to look at it or how far you're willing to go. Some people don't mind at all making like this big giant meal prep like one day a week and they make like three different types of meat and they cycle it throughout the week. I don't know. It depends on what you're working with or what you what you like to do. And I do like to take my time every once in a while, light up a grill, sear some tuna with asparagus, for example. So in my experience, going on the paleo diet was not... wasn't a sacrifice. It was just something very different... And it's hard to break from it originally because, like I said, the non-paleo stuff is pervasive everywhere you go. A lot of the stuff that's ready to eat that fast food restaurants are going to serve you is stuff that violates the paleo. And so that's that's one thing that's kind of like you just have to get used to, but you don't miss it at all, like... I was thinking about it for a little bit whenever I first started paleo, and then I never never really cared about it. I, I have housemates, and they eat whatever they're going to eat, so they, they'll eat fast food and all this all the time, and it, it's, it doesn't even occur to me. Like, I don't even think of it like, oh, man, I wish I could have that. And that's the thing about this. That's, that's where this whole, like, superpower of the whole paleo diet comes from is you feel great in every single way. And part of how our diet that we were basically raised on, this whole food pyramid or my plate thing that the government gave us, um, is pretty toxic. Like, 70% carbs or something like that. It's ridiculous. And what happens when you eat carbs is you get, like, this insulin spike. And it makes you feel like you're good and satisfied in one moment, but then it crashes down and it sends all these alarm bells off in your body that scream at you to please eat something or we're going to pass out. And for some people, that fluctuation in those hormones is so extreme that, yeah, they literally will pass out if they don't eat something. Another anecdote about that whole concept and the whole idea of even when people are eating like Burger King and stuff in front of me, it doesn't bother me. It's not something that even, you know, is one thing or another to me. It's just, that's just them eating their food, whatever. It's, like I said, it doesn't feel like I am denying myself anything. So I remember in one of my first jobs working as a massage therapist, I was pretty new to paleo, but I'd, I'd been at it for about three or four weeks at the time. Uh, this is after my initial experiment which happened, like, years before that. But whenever I decided to get back at it again, I got into the paleo and started doing that. And at first I was afraid because my job's pretty physical, and I thought, 
you know, I can't just stay seated. And if I start feeling weak or whatnot, it's going to maybe even send me to the hospital if I pass out or something, you know. And so I was wondering how that's going to be with a very physical job, like being a massage therapist, for example. And I was surprised that even on my lunch break, I really didn't feel like I needed the lunch, per se. And um, so I ate just because I thought I should, but I didn't feel like it'd be the end of the world if I didn't. Nowadays, I have injured my shoulder maybe about a year ago, and so I always take a lunch break, and I always try to eat something during my lunch break, but it's more for to let my shoulder have some recuperation time before I get back to my next massages, rather than um, because I feel like I'm going to collapse or whatever if I don't eat. So it was funny because there was these people that would come in literally with like fast food that they brought into work. They'd eat their fast food. And at the time I was also doing intermittent fasting with paleo. So I, I hadn't had breakfast at all. I worked all the way up until lunch and then I would have my lunch, which I still didn't feel like I really needed. And then I would continue out for the rest of my day until I clocked out. Well, some of my coworkers who came in like eating like breakfast wraps or whatever and hash browns or whatever else, they would be literally crying about how they needed, oh, I needed my lunch break or I'm going to pass out. The room is spinning and I feel so weak. And it's like, okay, well, they had like more calories in their breakfast than I probably would have had for half the day. And yet they're still feeling like they can't go on. And then, you know, they'd have their lunch or whatever. But if anyone tried to call them off their lunch break, even five minutes early, they'd be all snappy about it and flip out about it and get all angry. And then they'd go for a couple more hours into working. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, I need something to eat. I need a snack or I'm going to pass out. Uh. And according to these people, these are people that they told us all whenever the people were concerned about their health. That, oh, no, uh, I don't, I, I've been to my doctor. He says I'm perfectly healthy. So according to all the tests that their doctors are giving them, they're quote-unquote healthy. But this is what happens with all this spiking in the hormones and your body sending off all these alarm bells saying, oh, my gosh, it's been two hours since we ate. We're going to need to eat something. Do it now. And then, of course, it's that same stuff, that all that carb stuff or whatnot. So what I found with this paleo thing as well is that it's very even keel. Like whenever you're hungry, you eat and then you stay satisfied for a very long time, even to the point that you might have to force yourself to eat because even whenever it is your meal time, you might feel like I'm not very hungry right now. Maybe I'll eat later. <laughs> so I just think that if, if anyone does this legitimately and they strictly stick to it, they'll, they'll see the benefits of it. And I've noticed that every sort of meditative thing that I've done, once I was also doing a very clean diet, also seemed to make the meditation more impactful. Whether it was breathing exercises, or just visualizations, or whatever else. If it was a meditation that was meant to bring my mood up into a good mood, that's what it did for me, and it did a better job then than it did at any other point. If I weren't on that um, diet, I almost don't even like to call it a diet, even though a diet is what we eat, so technically it is a diet, but the diet has the connotation of being something that you temporarily do to achieve a result, and then a lot of people just quit after that. But if, like I said, paleo is like what we're meant to be eating. It's like it's like this whole food pyramid thing is a diet that was imposed upon us that we didn't realize was this weird artificial thing that we just started doing. And so as far as energy goes, I just want to address one last thing about that. And that is, um, there's things, for one thing, uh, I think it's okay to be close to paleo because there's some 
foods that aren't paleo by definition that I think are very beneficial, such as kefir, because of the very unique probiotics that it provides that no other food does provide, for example. So it's not like, and I already said this anyways, I'm not always strictly 100% um, paleo all the time. Then another thing is, you know, we talk about energy. So some people might think, especially depending on, like, it could be a religious thing. It could just be a spiritual thing. But a lot of practitioners of yoga, if they're really into, like, the spiritual aspect of it, they will kind of do, like, almost like a Buddhist type of vegan sort of thing where they don't want to be part of the cycle of an animal's death. So like they don't want to be purchasing chicken legs because that meant that you were paying somebody for selling a chicken leg, which means that somebody is being given an incentive to kill more chickens or whatnot. So some people see that as a negative energy that an animal is dying for what you're eating. My take on it is that the only good energy is a balancing energy. So just because something is quote-unquote negative in your perception or it has a bad feeling to it, like, you know, when, when people discipline their children, you know, their children can say, oh, that's negative energy. No, it's not. You're making sure that they grow up with the right upbringing and making sure that they have a more successful life by helping them cultivate a better pattern of behavior, for example. Same thing with the animals and the whole cycle of life and death. We're humans. We're meant to eat animals. And research into our Paleolithic ancestors has proven that there was no such thing as a vegetarian or a vegan back then because they wouldn't have made it. And therefore, everyone who got passed on from them genetically, all their ancestors had to be from those same genes that cannot succeed in a health way without, you know, eating a omnivorous diet. And so, you know, that's a whole other subject. A lot of people think that, you know, they're healthy or whatnot, but there's a lot of issues I've seen with people who... Uh, do these sort of things where they had a lot of health issues that had to be artificially adjusted, whether they're taking B12 supplements to make sure that they have the B12 they need or whether they have developed like psychological issues that, you know, the doctors are claiming, oh, that didn't come from anything. We don't know what it is. Not, not even acknowledging the diet or how that affects the rest of the body and how that is common in causing a lot of psychological issues because you need your neurotransmitters and your endocrine system, your hormones, all to be in balance. And that requires the right nutrition. So on the note of good energy, bad energy, and, and the idea that killing animals or being part of animals being killed for food is somehow a negative or bad thing. We need balance. And the worst thing you could possibly do to a population of animals is under-harvest them. Case in point, just one example, but you could find many and even like theoretical, hypothetical situations, if you just look at how it would roll out from the start, if things were gone out of balance, it would always spell catastrophe for the whole world, not just any one species of animals. So, one good example was Yellowstone. They had deer that were just let to live and just keep breeding and Everything was beautiful because, oh, look at all these wonderful, cute animals and they're living a nice life and nothing's out there to kill them. 
So we just see more and more of these animals just living together in harmony. Well, eventually they started dying very slowly and painful in harmony. <laughs> because the deer were eating a lot of the vegetation, their hooves were cutting up the land and destroying a lot of the grass. There was less animals around to help the plant species and other animal species in the balance. And eventually the wildlife population of Yellowstone dropped like a rock where the deer were overpopulated and even the deer were starting to starve and die very slowly because they were running out of food because they were eating all their food and the food that they were eating was also being just unable to reproduce which is receding the rivers and streams were eroding the land things were just getting worse and worse until if it would have gone too long it would have become like a desert where nothing could live so what ultimately happened was they decided to put 14 wolves in the Yellowstone National Park and this caused a rebalancing so the wolves started killing deer and eating them the wolves started breeding and more wolves came out more deer started being killed by wolves and so the deer were able to reproduce in balance and the wolves were able to reproduce in balance and the wolves kept the deer in balance and that caused everything else to start balancing out the grass started growing again roots started taking place more vegetation more plant life more animals of all different sorts started coming in and, and housing up in Yellowstone National Park and it got rejuvenated and it was because of this quote-unquote negative energy of these wolves killing the deer because wolves are meant to eat deer and we are people we're meant to eat animals we're omnivores so we are meant to eat a lot of different things and and as it has been found in all this nitrogen isotope analysis and all this other research that went on to see what we were meant to eat and what we did eat from the beginning of time we are expected to eat at least 30% and up to 60% protein in our diets. And like I said, I know that being told that for a lot of people might be downright offensive to them because they think that they have the right answers and all that, but that's just really science right there. There's even been studies where they took people who were from cultures, specifically Australian Aborigines, who were living sedentary lifestyles and developed type 2 diabetes and heart conditions. And they asked them if they wanted to participate in a six-week trial of living off the land. So they would have to live the paleo life, basically. And that's what they did. So for six weeks, they weren't allowed to bring in, like, MREs or whatever. They had to live in the bush as they were brought up to how they're taught in their tradition to do that and so they did that and what happened was all of their maladies went away in regard to their whether they had high blood pressure or a heart condition or type 2 diabetes everything normalized they lost weight they got lean they got healthy and, it, and that was just because they had no choice but to eat just as humans in that region would eat. Whatever animals, whatever wildlife, vegetation was available, that's what they had to eat. And so, this is just something for you guys to consider and to do more of your own research. But just so you know, all of these things that I've stated they didn't just exist in some documentary somewhere. They could also be found in double-blind, peer-reviewed scientific research, such as that which could be found on PubMed and Hindawi and other research publications. But I think you'll find that as you look deeper into this paleo thing, or near paleo even, you'll find that a lot of the new findings of things that people are quote-unquote surprised or are bad for you and this is this illness or whatever that comes from eating too much of this or that food 
you'll find that it just happens to fit around the paleo diet. Every time I found something new, such as like potatoes, for example, I, I, I found that most of the potatoes that we eat have acrylamides in them because acrylamides form in potatoes when you cook them at 258 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. And so, well, in the paleo diet, you don't eat potatoes anyway. So it's kind of interesting how that's a problem, but not if you're paleo. Things like that. And like wheat, legumes, tomatoes, those sort of things are high in lectins. Lectins cause lots of gut irritation and problems with it. And so, it's no surprise that that's a problem for some people to eat these. Well, I think it's a problem for everybody, but they just don't realize it until it becomes like a, a medical identified issue. So, it's just funny how like the more I've learned about the diet and all these newer discoveries that scientists are finding about this or that's causing this problem or that problem or this causes cancer or this causes leaky gut syndrome. None of that, those foods that are causing all this damage fall into the paleo diet. And it also makes me feel great, have good energy and like I said, you are what you eat. So I think to adjust the composition of your body, which is the antenna through which your vibrations are going and through which the universe's vibrations are coming into, especially if you're doing something like Reiki and you're receiving the universe's energy and you're allowing the universe to come through you to heal the next person, your client, perhaps, if you want to call her that, then you're going to want your antenna to be constructed of the most pure type of composition possible. And that's the whole reason why I brought this up. The next episode that I'm going to do is about posture and it's also going to deal with different body aches and pains and how to not only improve posture but how it would also come hand in hand with alleviating different aches and pains that people have in their daily lives. So stay tuned for the next episode, which will be based on posture and muscle tensions. All right, have a good day, everybody. Thanks for listening to Benevolent Vibes. I'll catch you in the next one.